Friday podcast giving you a little spiritual nourishment to help you get through your day. We're glad you've joined us again today. And uh, as you'll remember, if you've been listening to us on Mondays, we're taking a trip through the book of Romans. And we've been going chapter by chapter through Romans, just looking at trying to look at what the big idea is in each chapter and follow the flow of the book. And today we come to chapter 12, a transitional chapter. So the words that I would like to give you today from Romans 12 are found in 12 uh, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar verses. Uh, many of us can quote these by memory and from heart, by heart. And this is what the word of the Lord says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. And Paul here begins, as I say, it's a transition. It's a a new section of the book of Romans. Paul's writings are very interesting. He, he writes in a very consistent pattern. He has a mind that's as clear as sunlight. And when Paul puts his books together, any of his epistles, they follow a very definite pattern. And the pattern that Paul uses is he begins his books by giving us doctrinal instruction, by giving us what our theologian friends call the indicative. He tells us, in other words, what the truth is. And then at a certain point, after he's done that, after he's explained what God's truth is and what the principles are, he turns to a second subject, and that's the practical section of the book, practical in the sense of things to be put into action, what we're to do about the doctrines that he has given us and shown us. Now, in the book of Romans, chapter 12 begins that second section. It's the practical section. It is where Paul is going to give us advice about how to live out the subject that he's been talking to us about for the previous 11 chapters. And if we want to summarize that subject, we can put it all in just one word, and the word is grace. Paul has been walking us through, step by step, the things that God has done for us to save us, to bring us to himself, things that we could never have done for ourselves. And having explained that to us, Paul now turns to us and says, now this is how you're to live. The way I want you to put these things into practice is by following these principles that I'll give you in the remaining chapters. And so Paul is going to tell us something. He's going to give us ways to live. And he begins by urging us to live lives that he calls lives of being living sacrifices, that we're to be people who to put it mildly or just to to put it straightly, we're to be people who live lives that look an awful lot like Jesus. Jesus is God's living sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And Paul is urging us here to live that kind of life in an ungraceful world. Paul's exhortation to us is to live grace-filled lives in the midst of a world that is ungracious. And how are we to do this? 
He tells us that we're to do this by the renewing of our minds. We're to learn to think about things in a new way. We're to learn to live in a new way, in the graceful, gracious way that Jesus did. So Paul begins to take us through some gifts of grace that God has given us. Now, grace is God's power working in and through us for the good of others. And when we exercise the gifts that Paul's going to enumerate for us, we look an awful lot like Jesus, and Jesus was God's greatest grace gift to man. And so Paul begins to talk to us about a remarkable quality of life that ought to characterize each one of us who've put our faith in the Savior. Paul lists some of these qualities that are gracious qualities. Humility, service, genuine love, zeal, hope, patience in suffering, prayerfulness, tolerance, compassion, and gentleness. These are the qualities that when we live them out, when we live with this new way of looking at the world, will attract people to Jesus when they see them in the lives of those who put their faith in him. Now, the danger, and what some unfortunately often do is, they look at these passages, these practical movements, these exhortations that Paul gives in the last part of his letters, and instead of seeing them as grace goals or grace gifts, they do really a terrible thing with them. They turn them into a new kind of law. They seem to reason, well, the Old Testament, we've been released from the Old Testament law. We don't live under law anymore. But here in these chapters, we find a new law. This is a New Testament law. And so what we're going to have to do here is discipline ourselves and force ourselves to do these things. And of course, That's not at all what Paul has in mind, because a grace gift is God's power in you working these things out through you. And when we use these practical exhortations as a new kind of law, rather than expressions of grace, a terrible thing happens. These truths turn to stone in our hearts, and we become proud, self-righteous, ungraceful people. And no one is attracted to Christ through that. It's, you don't have to be very smart to figure out that people will be attracted to Christ if they see kindness in our lives. And people will be repelled from the gospel if we become those who stand and scream at them and shake signs at them. It's a certain turnoff, keeping people from finding their way to the Savior. If you really want to be happy as well, live by grace. But if you want to be miserable and make everybody miserable around you, turn these exhortations into a new kind of law, because that's the way that we disappoint ourselves, we disappoint God, and we harm our neighbors. We miss an opportunity when we think of these as a new kind of law rather than seeing that they're expressions of God's grace lived out in the lives of those who believe him. And so I would encourage you today, as you read this chapter and as you read the other closing chapters of any of Paul's epistles, don't think of what you're finding there as a new way to, a new law, a new kind of 
I must do this. I have to do this. Understand that this is how grace lives its way out in the hearts and minds and lives of those who've genuinely put their faith in Christ. And that this indeed is the way that we win the world to Jesus. A number of years ago, an academic who studies history and who studies social trends wrote a very interesting book uh, trying to answer the question, how is it possible that the early Christian church won the Roman Empire to faith in Christ? How did Christianity become the dominant religion of the Roman Empire uh, within the first 300 years of Christianity's existence? And he went back and he looked at early sources and he read secular sources, the Roman sources that were left over, and, and looked at what people's opinions were of Christians. And he found a very interesting thing. He said that the way that the early Christians, the first and second and third century Christians, changed their society was because they were the nicest people, the most gracious and helpful people that anyone had ever met. And that speaks to what we're talking about today. If we really want to win our friends and neighbors to Christ, we don't do that by demeaning or by criticizing. We simply do it by living the grace that we have discovered in Jesus out in our own lives and watch what God will do with it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for giving us the privilege of being the bearers of these gifts of grace, and we pray that you help us to glow, shine, to, to illuminate the darkness in our society by lives that are well and graciously lived to the praise of your glory. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us again today. Remember, grace is meant to shine. Thank you.